I bought a bunch of Halloween candy. I did. I am great. a sucker for Halloween candy. I've been here for 30 minutes and I've wolfed <laughs> down probably a decent chunk of it. I appreciate that because I've been wolfing down too much of it. God, it's so good. So good. I can't decide if Kit Kat, Snickers, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cup are all on the same level of Halloween candy for me. And I don't know what one I like more. Well, I don't think I can pick. You don't need to pick. I <laughs> we'll get you all of them. All of the above. I'm Man. definitely, I would, I'd say that same list except swap out the Snickers for Twix for me. Ah, that's fair. That's, that's a good choice too. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's all good stuff. Yeah. Here's some, I do too. It's just so fun and God, it's so good. And I don't normally eat candy like that during the year. No, just like I just sit on my couch and, and I'll just eat it. Eat candy. Oh, God. One time at um, a previous job of mine, there was this huge bowl of candy in re- like the reception area. And I was like, this is the best. And I was eating a bunch of it. And then I ran into some guy at work and he was like, yeah, that was my kid's Halloween candy. And I was like, I feel oh, terrible, no. <laughs> but I just ate a lot of that. Like, you help the kid out. I think it's fine. <laughs> You're a growing lady. <laughs> we need that right now. <laughs> I'm an adult, but I could get taller. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> oh, oh God. And then I felt bad. It's okay. But I ate so much of it. It was so good. There's, there's also this... Uh, do you know the bowl of candy at reception? Yeah, I've hit that up so <laughs> I've many times. I've definitely gone down and been like, I need a temp badge. And then, <laughs> and then while I'm getting my temp badge, I'll not that I really need one, but I will definitely go for the candy. I've stopped even pretending, but now I have to awkwardly come up with a conversation topic to talk about with them. Yeah. To be like, hi, I'm just gonna eat this <laughs> how was the weekend doing, on a wednesday <laughs> doing anything fun next weekend <laughs> oh man any fun visitors <laughs> yeah and the worst is like and i i'm on the same floor as reception so i can go there without having to go through any stairs or anything heck yes no obstacles meaning that i have now no shame and will dig around in the bowl for what i'm looking for <laughs> As you should. <laughs> I will off the top. I will stand there with my like, because it's like a tall bowl. It's not like a big wide one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you want could be at the bottom. So I will sit there with my arm like fully yeah. in this bowl. Yes. <laughs> like, it's great. <laughs> the nice thing is, is that it's clear. So, so I will definitely see what's scan in the bottom. it. Yes. I do too. Yes. <laughs> We're definitely working 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <sighs> It happens, man. Oh, God. So good. So good. So good. So, I feel like I'm two months late, but yesterday, or two days ago, I listened to Taylor Swift's new album. Oh, my gosh. Love her. Oh, my gosh. It's actually pretty good. I actually did not know about Taylor Swift's new album, and now I need to get on this bandwagon ASAP. It's pretty good. I used to love Taylor Swift when I was younger. Oh, yeah. And then as I got older, I kind of just dropped off the radar. It's not that I didn't like her. It's just that... I started finding new music and my horizons expanded. Right. And then I was like, I'm going to listen to this because she was on an episode of Saturday Night Live that I watched. Mm. She was the musical guest. Um, and I was like, I'm going to listen to her album. It's pretty good. I'm a fan. Oh my I gosh. have been playing it consistently for the last two days. So <laughs> I recommend it. But you all probably have already listened to it. <laughs> 
because you're with the times. Oh man, yeah. I will definitely listen to some of her music after this episode. Oh. That's something to look forward to. It's really good. It's really good. It's catchy. It's catchy. Wonderful. It's well, speaking of powerful women. Oh my God. <laughs> we is powerful. <laughs> she definitely is. 100%. I love her. Um, we could not do a pay- podcast about space with two women without right. talking about the first all female spacewalk. Yes, absolutely. So, this is actually a really exciting month for space history because we had the first female spacewalk. We did. Ever. And then did we have the first Jewish woman to do a spacewalk? Oh, I didn't know catch that. That's awesome. I actually think that might have been a thing. That's awesome. Yeah, so for context, only 15 women have ever performed spacewalks compared to more than 200 men. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. It's okay, nuts. Jessica Meir was the first um, Jewish, I believe so. That's awesome. I know. I really think that's awesome. Aside from it being two women, I think it's really great. Yeah, just like milestone after milestone. Um, exactly. I also think it's so cool. So I follow them on Instagram. You all can too. Because they're Jessica Meir and Christina Coach, or I think it's Coke. Coke, that could be it. So they have, they both have Instagrams. So it's Astro underscore Jessica and then Astro underscore Christina. Sweet. So Astro as an astronaut. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you would, but I don't know. You some, never know. You some never know. out there in the world might not. Um, you can follow them on Instagram. They're really cool, and they're best friends. Oh my gosh, we can go to space, I Anna. know. We, we can, can be the next best friend in space. Doing our own spacewalk. I saw that. I, and I was it. like, ah, I love that they're best friends. Oh my gosh. That um, so awesome. Yeah, they're pretty impressive. I was yes. reading that uh, Christine Koch is, um, has had so, much, so many years of experience doing Arctic and Antarctica missions. That's really cool. It's really cool. And the spacewalk that they did lasted seven hours. Which is a really long time. A really long time. And they were servicing the space station's power systems. Yeah, I saw that. Apparently, um, there was a critical battery charger that failed Uh that they had to replace. Yeah. And actually, what's interesting is that... So, I read this um, interview by Dave... An interview with Dave Newman, who is the... uh, uh, the person working on the next generation of spacesuit design, and this interview was addressing the question, why have there been so few females uh, to do spacewalks? Yeah, um, because I knew, I remember that, because there's that whole big controversy when they were supposed to spacewalk in the spring, and they were like, well, they don't have two spacesuits that fit them. Yes. And it was kind of not the exact portrayal of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, effectively, they did have a small and a medium, and maybe they should have had two smalls, but it sounded like what the actual problem was, was this one woman had trained in a medium spacesuit, mm-hmm. and then was like, you know what, I actually think I should be in a small. Yes. I think that would fit me better. I think that would be better for the situation. Yes. But the way they spun it kind of made it sound like right. that they were like, they're just being super non-inclusive and trying to shut down this old female spacewalk. Right, right, right. And it's like, they probably should have had two female-sized spacesuits, but the one woman, I do believe, trained in a medium. Um, so or actually, something like that. Yeah, so the interview, what I was reading, was more along the lines of, like, what you said. Yeah. Was that these spacesuits were... The development of these spacesuits started in the 50s and 60s. Yes. And the spacesuit research uh, typically involved just designing for men. Yeah. 
And these spacesuits are big and bulky and don't fit the typical frame of a female, which no. is typically smaller. No, and they're also we're also proportioned differently, right? Like exactly. our hip is wider. Exactly. Our shoulders are narrower. Right. So for the most part. Not for all women. Yes. So um what was sad was that in this uh in this interview they had interviewed um a NASA administrator and the NASA administrator was saying you know what, it's actually because he was being a little vague about some of his answers, mm-hmm. but some. But what it was was that he said that, you know, you need people who are taller. It helps to do some of the tasks outside of the ISS. But then Dave and Newman said, you know, the tasks, like there are tasks where smaller people can fit in better to get in between structures on the ISS. It's kind of a cop-out. It was like, a well, cop-out. you just need mm-hmm. to be taller. And it's like, well, they're... Not every task requires a tall person. Exactly. And having, like, maybe you should not have a whole crew of people five foot and under, but you also right. shouldn't have a whole crew of people six, three and over. Right. Like, like, you need a range of different sizes. Yes. So I think what the, what this interview basically said with Deva, Deva basically said was that, you know, more money and more time has to be invested into creating spacesuits that are inclusive for all shapes and sizes. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. That's cool. I don't know. Listen to that interview. Yeah, that was really interesting. All right. right. So you ready to hop into this? Maybe we should introduce ourselves. Yes, let's do that. (laughs) All right. So I'm Anna, and I'm Henna, and this is but But it it is is rocket science. So I'm actually really excited about today's topic. Me too, Anna. This one's I think a little bit different than normal because we're not going through. We're not going through like a system or we're not talking technical about a, engineering. Yeah, exactly. We're not delving into an engineering topic. Right. But we are talking about some cool stuff. So we're going to talk about the first woman and the first man to go to space. Yes. And we both were geeking out about this a little earlier. <laughs> we were. <laughs> about how much we learned and didn't realize how interesting their lives were growing up. Yeah. So I think, um, A, I very highly recommend that... Um, it's really interesting to read the profiles of astronauts, yes. especially as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Like in the past, it was like to be an astronaut, you had to have a PhD and be a military, military. pilot yep. and be a, the expert in your field. Exactly. And also be an, like a Navy a SEAL and a surgeon. It's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. all the most an, intense careers you could think piano about player or something. <laughs> And you're like, who has all these skills? Right. That is untouchable for me. Right. Like, and becoming an astronaut, the qualifications have not lessened by any means. Of course, yes. But we are now sending more people to space. And they're also opening that up a little bit. Yeah. Like, I think Jessica has a master's degree in electrical engineering and a bunch of other accomplishments behind her. Heck yeah. But um, it's interesting to see how the profiles have changed. Yes. I highly recommend. And I love that because it it shows that, you know, you can make your own path and become an astronaut. exactly. Like, I read Jessica's bio and I was like, I could do this. Yes. And I think that's what's really cool about now. Reading about astronaut bios when I started college, I felt like you you needed a PhD. You felt defeated. Yes. Yeah. You're like, okay, if I don't do this path, I can't be an astronaut. It's like, well, there's so many amazing, strong, smart people Mm -hmm. who have gone on different paths and they're still able to become astronauts. Uh So that's really cool. It is. I like that a lot. Um, all right. So these people have some really non-traditional backgrounds. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's to really to. interesting. Hannah is going to start us off. Yes. With the first person to ever go to space. Yuri Gagarin. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's a good name. It is a good name. It's a fun name to say. Gagarin. It is. That is a good name. So Yuri Gagarin was born March 9th, 1934 in the village of Klushino in Russia. 
and he was born to parents who worked on a collective farm. His father was a carpenter, and his mother was a dairy farmer. Wow. He was the third of four children. Cool. Yeah, just setting the scene. Setting the scene for young Yuri. So was would 1934 be before World War II? Yes, that is a great point, Anna. And it leads me into talking about um, something that happened in his life early on. So World War II did take place from 1939 to 1945. I believe those were the years. Okay, so he was five when the war started? Yes. Ah. And what I found, which was very disturbing, was that a German officer had took over the Gagarin residence during this time, and his family was allowed to build a mud hut approximately three meters by three meters. That is 10 feet by 10 feet on the land behind their house. So there were four kids. Four kids, yes. And then so I'm assuming the two parents. Four kids, two parents, and in they a were hundred square foot home in a hundred square foot mud hut that God. they were forced to live in while um, this German officer took over their oh, home. Oh my God! My one bedroom apartment is small, and my va- apparently my Roomba vacuumed two hundred thirty five square feet the other day. Yeah, and I that is just for me, and right. I feel like my apartment is small. <laughs> right? Like, no, isn't that na- that's just that's crazy, crazy to fathom? God, that poor family. Yeah. So they spent 21 months in it until oh the my end of the Nazi ox- occupation. Yeah. Nuts. Um, his two older siblings were then deported by the Germans to Poland for slave labor in wow. 1943. I really hope this gets better because this is horrible. It's yeah, it's really sad. That's really sad. Yeah. And God. His siblings didn't return until after the war in 1945. Oh, man. So now to Yuri. So in 1950, a few years later, at age 16, he began this apprenticeship at um, uh, as a foundryman at a steel plant near Moscow. Okay, that was my next question. I was like, <laughs> what's a foundryman? A foundry is this factory where metal is formed into castings. So I actually had to look this up. <laughs> like i don't know what that is um is a fact a a foundry is this factory and um metal is formed into castings by melting it into liquid and pouring it into molds oh okay all right i gotcha yeah and after he graduated um from seventh grade in 1951 wait so he was in seventh grade at 17 yeah it must have been the war that he didn't go to school yeah And he also graduated from the vocational school with honors in mold making and foundry work. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. He went on to the Saratov Industrial Technical School where he studied tractors. So I'm not seeing any early signs of space flight here. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. It's cool. It's cool to think about that. Okay. So he's 16 and 17 and not showing. No, that's neat. Yeah, it's neat. Working on tractors. Perfectly respectable trade. That's great. Absolutely. I'm really curious about how he got from there to being the first man in space. But you're going to tell us. I will. So while in Saratov, Gagarin volunteered at a local flying flying club for weekend training as a Soviet air cadet. And he trained to fly a biplane and later a two-seat military trainer aircraft that was called a Yak-18. All right. There's the space flight. Now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing it. So in 1955, he was accepted to the first Shrilovsky Higher Air Force Pilot School. Fancy. And while he was in pilot school, he actually, this is funny, he twice struggled to land one of the two-seater trainer aircrafts, and this actually risked his removal from pilot training altogether. But then he had this very forgiving 
um, flight instructor who then realized, you know, maybe Gagarin's just just a little shorty and needs a cushion to sit on. How so tall is he? He is actually 5'2". Oh, man. He right? is small. <laughs> and so his flight instructor gave him this cushion and he was like, oh, my gosh, I can see now. That's and so he was successfully able to land the planes. Nice job. The fact that he even was trying to land those and not really being able to see <laughs> makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. So he then began flying solo in 1957 and he was in that same year commissioned as a lieutenant in the soviet air forces the day after he was commissioned he graduated from flight school the next day um and then was stationed at the luostari air base close to the norwegian border for a two-year assignment and then after expressing my foot fell asleep i'm sorry oh it's okay do what you gotta do um after expressing interest in space exploration following the launch of Luna 3 um, on October 6, 1959, he was recommended to the Soviet space program by Lieutenant Colonel Babushkin. That is a fun name. It's a fun name. So I really, yeah, I didn't need to mention him, but his name was fun. So I was like, let's throw it in there. Every time I see Colonel written out, so if, if you've never seen Colonel written out, it's it looks like colonel. Yeah. Colonel. <laughs> Every time I see it, I have to, in my head, be like, that's Colonel. Yeah, like, me too. There's, like, feedback in there, like, exactly. active, <laughs> dynamic like, thinking. It's not of just, like, like with, what is that again? Yeah, I do it every time. That's so funny. All right, so what was the Luna program? Yes, so actually, what's interesting is that I had never heard of the Luna program. I actually, as an aerospace engineer, think I've heard of this either. Right, and we get so used to the common buzzwords of space saturn all the time yeah apollo shuttle saturn 5 um columbia challenger and i think what's what's been really fun anna about doing this podcast together is that i've just been learning a lot of i have too like um just about new inconspicuous stuff. new stuff it's cool to be able to throw it around too yeah like i was talking to somebody and i was like i know all about venture star because <laughs> that episode we did right. on the linear aerospace <laughs> So it's like, yeah, I know a lot. Yes. It weighed too much. We're never finished. Yes. Heck yeah. Because it's composite tank. Failed. Oh my gosh, Anna. Yes. Man, all the knowledge. All the knowledge. All right. So what was it? So the Luna program was the series of robotic spacecraft missions that were sent to the moon by the Soviet Union between 1959 and 1976. That's actually a long time. Yes. Actually. Yeah. And it's amazing how we don't really hear about it. No. Fifteen of these missions were successful, and each was designed as either an orbiter or a lander. It accomplished many firsts in space exploration, and these experiments um, included studying the moon's chemical composition, gravity, temperature, and radiation. So I thought that was really cool. It is really neat. And so Gagarin was inspired by this. In 1959, after he was promoted to senior lieutenant, um, he was interviewed by a medical commission for qualification to the space program. And within, so like, if you think about it, within eight years, he goes from studying these tractors and making molds to becoming a lieutenant and being considered for space travel. That's amazing. I love that. It just shows that, you know, like anything can happen if you work towards the, towards something that you set your heart to. I also think it's something to be said for, so Yuri was obviously very young here, but it's like, if you're interested in something, you should pursue it. Yes, Absolutely. That's so cool. So, 
All right. So now we're getting into the selection into the Vostok Vostok yeah. program. So the Vostok program it sent the first astronauts to space. Yes. So um, the selection of pilots happened with a focus on candidates between 25 to 30 years old. The chief engineer of the program, Sergei Korolev. Sergei, I think is how you Sergei. say that. I'm going to mess up a whole bunch of names, but I know that one. <laughs> yes. Okay. So thanks for calling me out. Sergei Korolev. And he specified that the candidates should weigh less than 72 kilograms or 159 pounds and be no taller than 1.7 meters or five foot seven. I have failed both of those criteria. <laughs> oh, I am over 159 pounds, probably. And I should not know for certain. And I am definitely over five foot seven. But you are beautiful, and Thank now you. we care about but the... But I am between the ages of 25 and 30, so... Killing it. <laughs> That's actually really funny. But I wouldn't even our... qualify as a man to go in this space. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Oh, man. But we can still go to space now. We're st- happy we've, yeah. we're happy we've grown as we've It's actually probably just because this capsule was so small. Yes. We will post a photo of it on our website man it's tiny i think they were just like a um space is very sensitive to weight yes because you can only send so much payload up right b this capsule is really small i I have a feeling if you were over five seven you just wouldn't fit Mm -hmm. i don't think it was personal yeah so from so from a pool of 154 pilots 20 were down selected to move forward in march 1960 and they began training at the Kandika Airfield in Moscow. And a month later, they were sent to parachute training in Saratov Oblast, and each candidate had to complete 40 to 50 jumps. It's a lot of jumps. It's a lot of jumps. Um, from low from both low altitude and high altitude and over both land and water. I feel like jumping into water is really scary. Jumping yes. onto land also sounds scary. But yeah. But imagine like jumping into water and then having, having to move your and figure out wait, what's going on with your parachute. Yeah. Right. Like, like, is it just dragging with you? I mean, it probably doesn't sink, but I mean, like, does it get tangled? I don't know. Does it get tangled up? Yeah. Do you cut knows. it loose? I don't know. So many it's questions. Scary. It's getting, I mean, I feel scared. I questions. <laughs> I'm never going to do it, so I don't know why I'd, like, I'm asking all these questions. <laughs> um... So what was really cool about Gagarin was that he was a likable guy. He was appreciated by others in his cohort. So when they were intervie- interviewed with like, hey, who else would you have fly if you couldn't fly? All of them but three chose wow. Gagarin. And there were 20, right? So that meant 16 chose him? Yeah. That's really impressive. Well, or 16 because Gagarin's he, one of them. <laughs> I guess he chose, he himself, chose himself. himself. Um, that's so funny. I've also heard rumors that he's a really big partier, but I don't know if that's true. I didn't find anything about that, but maybe we can go look that up sometime. It could also just be, I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about it later, but, um, Um, a rumor. A rumor, yeah. So, after, a month after the parachute training, in May 1960, he was then further down-selected for an accelerated training group known as the Vanguard 6. And... So whenever I think about Vanguard, I always think about the investment company. Yeah, I do too. I think about the letters they send me about my <laughs> ETFs, you... mutual funds. God, I don't all remember stuff. what it's called. Who knows? So I looked up like I was like, oh, what is the formal definition of Vanguard? And it's just a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas. Wow! Thank you, Google definition. Thanks, Google. That is a good one. Um. So. Gagarin was actually also subjected, besides the parachute training, subjected to some intense experiments that were designed to test physical and psychological endurance. 
This included oxygen starvation tests in which the cosmonauts were locked in an isolation chamber and the air was slowly pumped out. I'm going to have nightmares about that now. <laughs> right? What? Awful. No, thank you. Um, he was also put in a centrifuge to experience G-forces. Do you think being in a room where they pump all the air out is better or worse than being in a room that they slowly fill with water? I think the I would choose <laughs> would you rather <laughs> segment of our podcast. Um, I would choose the oxygen being pumped out because I feel like water, just awesome. lots of water freaks me out. Right. Well, then, then you would know you were going to drown, right? You would yes. know when you were going to drown. Like, do you, I mean, I personally have never... Ooh, like the um, not knowing when you will be just out yeah. of oxygen. Yeah, I don't know if that would make it better. Or oh, oh God, yeah. I Jeez. don't. Okay, okay. Um, I clearly need to stop watching psychological <laughs> thrillers. <laughs> so another terrifying test that these candidates were put through was that they were placed in an anechoic chamber. I think that's how you pronounce that. And this is a chamber where no echoes are possible. So you're in complete isolation. And Gagarin was in this chamber from 26th, from July 26th to August 5th. For 10 days? Yeah. July is 31 days, right? Yeah. Yes. It does. That would be ten, that's a lot of days. Yes. 10 days. In, in an this, isolation chamber where you yeah. can't even hear an echo? Right. Like all sound is absorbed. Can you imagine how eerie that would be? No. And so, um, this was a, I found a fun excerpt actually by a Soviet Air Force doctor that had evaluated her personality, um, you know, from doing these tests. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they did a lot of psychological evaluations too. Yeah. So this little excerpt, I'll read it and it's as follows. Um, he describes him as modest, embarrasses when his humor gets a little too racy. <laughs> High degree of intellectual development evident in Yuri. Fantastic memory. Distinguishes himself from his colleagues by his sharp and far-ranging sense of attention to his surroundings. A well-developed imagination. Quick reactions. Persevering. Prepares himself painstakingly for his activities and training exercises. Handles celestial mechanics and mathematical formulae with ease, as well as excels in higher mathematics does not feel constrained when he has to defend his point of view if he considers himself right. Appears that he understands life better than a lot of his friends. Wow. Wow, what an amazing review. That's, I feel like I haven't read a lot of psychological, no, my God, blah, 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 blah. I feel like <laughs> I haven't read a lot of psychological evaluations. That seems like a pretty darn good one. Right? Wow. A plus. Um, and so... On April 12th, 1961, a year after the Soviet doctor wrote this review, at 6.07 a.m. UTC, the Vostok 3KA3, or Vostok 1, spacecraft was launched from Baikonur Cosmodrome, and in it was Gagarin, the first human to travel into space. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Yuri. Thanks, Yuri. That had to be really scary. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He went on to receive the award called Hero of the Soviet Union, which is actually the nation's highest honor. Wow. Very cool. Um, but yeah, so that is the story of Yuri. And there's this actually, I wanted to bring up this um, this fun thing that Anne and I went to last year called Yuri's Night. It's really fun. It's awesome. So that's why I mentioned earlier to be like, I've read somewhere. So they have this big party. A lot of places do. They yes. have them all over the, co- all the country. World. Probably the world. The world. Yes. Um, they have a lot in the U.S. Too. Yes. 
Um, um, I think a lot of museums do them. A lot of bars do them. Um, and effectively, they just have a big party and you celebrate Yuri going to space on... It tends to be the weekend of when he went to space. Right. And it's just this huge celebration of, you know, humanity's presence in space. Yeah. And it's really fun. And there's normally like the one we went to had a DJ and we dressed up. Techno music. But I had heard that they do this because he was a partier. Oh, wow. But that also could have just been like a fake fun, rumor fun. that they were like, we have this party to commemorate that he was a partier. But yeah. really, that's just like a circle <laughs> of a rumor. It's really fun, though. Oh, At least yeah. the Uranus night where we live is super fun. It's really great. And it's a good way of like doing the it's a good way of combining a celebration with outreach and education. Exactly. Yeah. I also think it brings a lot of, again, yeah, education about like this is the first person who went to space. Like. This is what's happening in space right exactly. now. Exactly. Um, these are the companies and the technology that they're working on exactly. to further our human knowledge base of space. Yeah. Hannah and I dressed up. We did. Last year, and we're a little bitter because we think we should have won, uh, won the, the costume, costume contest. contest. But we did not win the costume contest. We were bitter about that. We were robbed. <laughs> we were robbed of a well-deserved award. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what the prize was, but we should have gotten it. Yeah, we dressed up very snazzy, and I'd describe us as glamorous alien princesses. I think that was spot on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was that was spot on. It was very fun. We had a really good time. We had a great we time. We should go again this year. A hundred percent. We saw robotic R2-D2s. We listened to some awesome music. Um, and we, try- we tried on these cool VR devices. Yeah, I think that was the Microsoft one. Yeah, and the it HoloLens. Was like the yeah. Galaxy. It was the HoloLens. It yeah. was fun. Um, but yeah. And then Anna, actually, we were talking about this, and she came up with this fabulous I idea. I will not take the credit, even though I wish I could. I was talking to my mom on the phone. She yeah. was like, what's your podcast going to be about? And I was like, we're going to talk about the first people in space. She was like, who are they? And we're going to get to mine in a second, but we'll spoil it for you. Yes. <laughs> I guess it's not really a spoiler, considering it happened, what, 50 years ago. <laughs> but the first woman in space was named Valentina. And my mom was like, oh, there's a Yuri's night. Why isn't there a Valentina's night? I was like, I don't know. Hannah and I are going to have one. Yes. I was so excited when you told yeah. me. I was like, heck yeah. So we are having this Valentina's night. My idea. It was my mother's idea. But it was a great idea. Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Mrs. Jensen. <laughs> we're going to do it. Love You're the best. <laughs> all right that's such a good story yes. i like that it came from a farm right you really at that. the beginning there i was like i don't see the connection to space but he got there he got he there. pulled it out of the bag all, all right. right so we're gonna talk about valentina next but, but you want to take a little break yeah let's do yeah that. my foot is very asleep yeah let's walk that out <laughs> All right, everyone, we're back. We're back. We blasted some Taylor Swift. We did. It is an... So, Anna had me listen to... What was the song's name? The Man. The Man. Very empowering. Would recommend. Very catchy. (laughs) Very catchy. perfect combo to be like, I feel empowered and this is stuck in my head. Yes. As we're talking, the tune is definitely in my brain right now. Thank you. (laughs) T-Swift. Bumping. (laughs) It is bumping. All right. My friend, anytime he likes a song, he's like, yeah, it's a banger. And I'm like, what, what the heck? I've heard that on the radio too, but I just don't like that. I don't like it. Either. I find it annoying. It just makes me think of Miley Cyrus's album Bangers. <laughs> like, I didn't even think about I that. I think it has a Z at the end. I oh, can't. Oh man. man. It might have been oh, from like man. three or four years ago. All, All right. right. So shall we get back into it? Yeah. Let's talk about the first woman in space. So the first woman in space was named Valentina Tereshkova. Love that name. So her, so her full name, I really like it too, was Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkova. And she would go sometimes by Valya, but I'm going to call her Valentina for the course of this. 
She was born on March 6, 1937 in Maslenikovo, Russia, which is 170 miles northeast of Moscow. And she is still alive, interestingly enough. Very awesome. Right? How old would she be now? She was born in 37. Seven. So if she was born in 39, that would make her 80? Yes. So would she be 82? Yes. Did I do that math correct? Or would she be 90? 63 90? plus... Because 80 would bring it... 70 would bring it to 2007. So 80 would bring it to 2017. And then to get us to 2019, 72. you need the two more years. Yes. 82. 82. Right? <laughs> it's like you're missing 10 years. Because 70 would bring us to 2007. Anna, it's 82. <laughs> Oh my god, it is. <laughs> okay. All right, now and that you've witnessed us try to do mental math. <laughs> it's late. I messed that up. I messed stuff up like that all the time. Oh man, oh man, oh man. So okay. She is still alive. She is 82. <laughs> um, wow. All right. So her parents also worked on a collective farm, which I thought was really interesting because so does Yuri's. So, but her father unfortunately died in World War Two. Oh man! Yeah. But hey, collective farming. So collective farming is interesting. Um, it's have you heard of it? No. So apparently, it's like co-op style farming where you get a bunch of small farms together. So it's like a giant farm made up of smaller farms, and each farm offers like some sort of specialty trade. So I thought that was really nifty. That is really smart. It's also nice because I think. Um, I know farming is really hard. My mm-hmm. grandparents are farmers. Um, you can have good years and you can have bad years. Right. And a bad year can really affect you. Mm-hmm. I feel like having a collective farm, it could kind of cushion the effect of a bad yes. year. Yes. Right. All right. So her dad died in World War II and she ended up leaving Ooh. school at 16 and started work at a textile factory. Wow. Yes. And that's so she, amazing. It is. It actually... It's that's, very sad. It Well, also, I feel like you think textile factory... Pretty sure the conditions in a textile factory back then are not what they would be in the um, today. Mm-hmm. So she continued her education through correspondence courses at the light industry light industry technical school. I had to figure out what a correspondence course was because I was yeah. like, did she take a course in correspondence? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? So it is it was effectively boils down to just being an online class before the internet. Oh wow! So instead of like. Like, if you've ever taken an online class, like, you log into a portal and it has all your materials and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they would, like, mail her all this stuff. Oh. And then I'm okay. assuming she would mail it back. Gotcha. So it was just an online course before the internet. So she ended up finishing her education in 1960. Wow. And she joined a club for parachutists. So she made over 100, she made over 150 jumps. That's insane. Which is, I feel like I am not a skydiver, but that is a lot of jumps. Also at that, like, in that year you know that's nuts that's yes. insane like how much do we trust parachute technology like wow that or planes or yeah. planes right like at that time that's when nuts. yeah that's, that's a lot that's and amazing. she trained as a competitive parachutist yeah so so what is competitive parachuting i tried to google it i couldn't really find a lot about what was going on especially back then so now in current times you can be a professional skydiver. Uh huh. I couldn't figure out if that was a career or if it was just something you did on the side. Okay. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes, I see what you mean. Like, like I don't like I don't think you could have been like a sponsored athlete. I'm I, if you can't see me, but I'm doing quotation marks, yes. air quotes. <laughs> um, back then, especially as a woman, but she mm-hmm. may have been able to compete. 
on right. a competitive, like and a not an amateur, on a professional level. Gain some recognition. Just as a hobby. Yeah. I don't want to call it hobby because I feel like that downplays it. Yeah, I think maybe it was just like a... Passion. Mm, a passion and she was a, yeah. a like a true athlete. But you I know, don't know for certain because trying to Google competitive parachuting for women <laughs> in the 1950s didn't bring a ton up. <laughs> yeah. But um, it is a really interesting idea. I, I would, I think I would assume, like, we could probably make the assumption that it was, like, the professional level for any sport. I think so. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So after the flight of cosmonaut German Titov, so he was the second person in space after Yuri, and this was on August 6th, 1961, she wrote a letter to the Space Center volunteering to be a cosmonaut. And unbeknownst to her, at this time, Soviet space program officials were looking for female cosmonauts and were considering a group of female parachutists. So I was talking to my mom about this on the phone on my drive here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, she was a parachutist. Mom was like, well, why didn't they look for engineers? And I was like, well, mom, women couldn't be engineers. Right. <laughs> Sad but true. Or pilots, I think, for right. the most part. So she was a parachutist and that was the closest thing they could find. So that's what they were looking for. And I mean, these women were very qualified. Right. But after Yuri's flight, the Soviets made it a priority to also put the first woman in space. So that's Nic- awesome. I know. I really think that's great. Actually, so Nikolai Kamanin was the director of Kamanin, excuse me, my accent, I always hit a really hard A sound, was the director of cosmonaut training. So in his diary, he wrote, we cannot allow that the first woman in space will be American. This will be an insult to the patriotic feelings of Soviet women. And I was like, wow, that's cool that you cared. I appreciate that. I was like, yeah, that's exactly the thought that went through my mind as you read that. I was like, wow, I'm surprised that they cared enough about this. I thought so, too, because it took the U.S. a long time to get a woman into space. Yes, uh-huh. Yep. So the requirements were that the parachutist had to be under 30 years of age. So that's interesting, because remember when I was talking about Yuri and I said that the candidates were selected from a group of 25 to 30-year-olds? It's interesting that they were just okay with any parachutist under 30 years of age and i wonder if that's because of just the pool of women that they got i'm actually wondering that because it's not even like oh like some of the women i'm going to talk about are under the age of 25 so it's not like the source i found just didn't have the lower limit right it was really under 30 like and under 25 like going back to that point that you made earlier that you know like they couldn't select female engineers there weren't female pilots it's like that pool of women that was probably being considered for this intense endeavor um was probably was smaller and they needed more uh, exactly. opportunities for selection and, um, they were looking for female parachutists i don't know how many of those there could be that right. were also willing to go to space right feel like your cab is pretty low and then they also had to be no taller than 5'7 and under 154 pounds so the yep. same requirements yes. i think it's just space constraining yes so then on december 1961 at age 24 she was invited to Moscow for an interview and medical examination. So young. Age 24. <laughs> oh, my it, gosh. Like, hold, hold on. Hold on. So on February 16th, 1962, five women were selected to join the female cosmonaut corps. I'm going to try my best here with their names. Let's hear it. So we have Valentina Tereshkova, our girl Valentina. Then we have Tatiana Kuznetsova. Then we have Sahana Yorkina. We have Irina Solovyova. Solovyova. Whoa. And Whoa. then we have Valentina. We have another Valentina. So there's a second Valentina is Valentina Ponomariova. Wow. Good job, Anna. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I really tried. a lot of 
Hard names. So it was a lot. So all five started as the rank of private in the Soviet Air Force. Cool. They also went through a lot of training. And this included, again, isolation tests, centrifuge tests, thermal chamber tests, decompression chamber testing, and pilot training in, I think they're, is it MiG-15 UTI jet fighters? Or is it MIG? I think I've heard MiG. Let's go with it. So she also underwent water recovery training. And I was like, what is water recovery training? Yeah. So effectively, I don't know if they would parachute or be thrown into uh-huh. rough water that was then agitated with motorboats. Oh, wow. So then they were had like in purposely agitated water. They had to try to swim to get themselves out. Oh, my gosh. And this was because those Vostok capsules would land in the ocean. Yeah. And they couldn't guarantee the conditions of the water. Yeah. So they would agitate it and they'd have to like recover and get themselves out. Which That's sounds really scary. scary. Yeah, that yes. is very scary. Because in my brain, I'm picturing it like being at night and there's like crazy rocks all right. around. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if that's real, but that's what I'm picturing. Either way, it sounds scary. So Valentina started studying at the Zukovsky Air Force Engineering Academy. And what's really interesting is she actually graduated a few years after her flight. So she did become an engineer, which is really amazing. I know. I really like that. So after finishing their training and passing an examination, they were offered the chance to be commissioned as regular Air Force officers. So I was reading this. I was like, well, why would they do that? Yeah. And they were actually given advice to accept because it would be more difficult for the program to get rid of them after the first flight. So there was kind of a fear to be like, after the first woman flew, maybe they just won't care about the rest of us and they'll cut the program. Oh, wow. But it will be harder for them to get rid of these women if they are commissioned Commissioned. as officers in the Air Force. Right. So then they have these careers in the Air Force and the military that would take care of them. Yes. And it's more difficult for them to get rid of. They are in the Air Force now. Gotcha. So in... In December of 1962, all five women became junior lieutenants. And Kutznesova was the favorite to become the first woman in space. But by late summer of 1962, she had some failures in the physical and emotionally tough preparation regime, resulted in her being removed from her training. She was also only 20 years old. Oh my gosh. So So earlier when you were like 24, I was like, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. So I don't blame her. That's crazy that she went through all of this at 20 years old. Yeah. I I don't know if I can do this now. Let oh alone my at gosh, 20 no. years old. The centrifuge test, the like water oh, recovery God. test. Yes. Oh my gosh. Not, yes. I, yeah, definitely couldn't even do that right now. Um, a bright spot is she was actually invited back to be a cosmonaut after the first woman, after Valentina flew, but the program was canceled Oof. before she could fly. Yeah. But I do think it was interesting that they rolled her out and then they're like, oh, you're probably just too young. We'll invite you back. So then in 1963, Yorkina married Valerie N. Sergeychik, and they had two children, Valerie and Svetlana. So this violated the rule that female cosmonauts must put off having children and dedicate themselves to the space program. Ugh. So she was kicked out. Love ruins everything, I guess. <laughs> I know. What's kind of upsetting, though, is I'm sure this rule was... I, I couldn't find anything saying whether or not it was applied to men, but I have a feeling it was not. Yeah. So only they could not have children. That makes me upset. Makes me upset too, but there's nothing we can do about it now. Right. So two are gone. That leaves our girl Valentina. Then we have Solviova and Panamariova. The other Valentina. The other Valentina. So originally the plan was to launch two women into space on solo Vostok missions on consecutive flights. So Vostok 5 would be Tereshkova and Vostok 6 would be the other Valentina. So Panamoriova, which is mm-hmm. kind of an interesting it's kind of fun to think it would be the two valentines yeah that's cool and they would be uh, sometime in march or april of 1963 but in march of 63 the plan was altered so it was changed such that vostok 5 would carry a male cos- cosmonaut 
and that would be Valerie Bykovsky. Mm-hmm. And Vostok 6 would still carry a female cosmonaut. Hmm, and this was planned for June of 1963. Yeah. I wonder why that happened, actually. I don't know. I was trying to dig into it and I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. But um, they hadn't decided what female would fly yet. So on May 21st, 1963, Tereshkova was nominated to pilot Vostok 6 by the State Space Commission. And she was officially chosen to be the first woman in space. Love it. And they called her Gagarin in a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> She was thought to be good propaganda because she was the daughter of collective farm workers and her father died in the war. Oh, wow. Which kind of made me wonder if that was another part of the reason why they went with Yuri, because his parents were also collective farmers. Yeah. That is a good point. Interesting. Yes. So it would be, it was good, um, a good propaganda for the right. people to be like, look, a farmer is going to space. Right. One it, of like, you is going to space. It appealed to the general public. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So then solely, oh, jar, darn. Soloviova was chosen as her backup. That's a mouthful. It is. Also, interestingly enough, the original plan was for both Valentinas. Valentina Tereshkova was going to be Vostok 5. Uh-huh. And then Ponomoriova was going to be Vostok 6. So I don't know what happened, but they ended up not choosing her to be the backup. Right. And Solviova was chosen instead. That is interesting. That actually yeah. is interesting. It's like, why didn't the f- other Valentina be chosen as a b- backup? I don't know what happened there. Yeah. But, so Tereshkova was promoted to lieutenant before her first flight. So before this, she was a junior lieutenant. Yeah. She finally got to be a full lieutenant. That's incredible. Right. So Vostok 5. That's incredible. I mean, because it, she's so young, you know, like at such a young she age. Was, yeah. I mean, I think she was, she's still 24 at this point. Maybe 25. I think she might have been 25. Either way, that's nuts. Yeah. So Vostok 5, so that had Valerie Bykovsky in it, mm-hmm. successfully took place on June 14th, 1963. And then on the morning of June 16th, 1963, both Tereshkova and Sloviova were dressed in spacesuits and bussed to the launch pad. So you didn't mention this, but apparently the article I read that said following the tradition set by Gagarin... Tereshkova became the first woman to urinate on the bus tire. So I guess Yuri must have peed on the tire of the bus that brought him to the <laughs> You know what I think is tire? hilarious? I'm wondering if he peed out of absolute necessity and, and then they, they made it a tradition. So now it's a thing. Cosmonauts do. Or at least according to the internet, it is. They pee on the tire. I like props to Valentina for doing it anyway. She's like, I'm a woman. It's, pro- it's probably super not kosher for her to do this she did anyway she I peed on that her. tire Heck she yes. was like i'm no different i'm gonna do this what a cool lady i read that and burst out laughing yes <laughs> so good for her once communication and life support checks were completed she was sealed in the vostok and after a two-hour countdown if you have not looked at this thing pause go find it now this is a looks like a ball it's like if somebody put you in a sphere that you barely fit in and then closed you in it for two hours. And, and it was going to fire we're gonna out of one end. <laughs> this was crazy. Two hour long countdown. While waiting oh to be launched gosh. into space, wondering if you were going to make it or not. Could you imagine our anxieties? No. Like, oh my gosh. No. No. Oh, so wow. she was in there on the ground for two hours. But oh, the Vostok, after that sounds horrible. But the Vostok 6 launched flawlessly and Tereshkova became the first woman in space. So to this date, she is the only woman woman to ever fly solo. And she's the youngest woman in space. Oh, she was 26. I answered our own question familiar. And mid-flight, she was promoted to captain. She made it. Yes, (laughs) she did. 
They're like, well, she did everything more than any other captain captain has done. (laughs) She can be captain. (laughs) Icing on the cake. (laughs) So her call sign in this flight was Chaika or Chaika, which was Russian for seagull. And she was commemorated as, which was commemorated as the name of an asteroid, 171 Chaika. Oh my gosh. So actually, Yuri's call sign was um, Keter. And it's Russian for Siberian pine, not as cool as an asteroid. No, but... well, I mean, she was, it was seagull. And then it was named for an asteroid. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But gotcha. I still like seagull more Seagull's than I cool. like uh, cool. Siberian pine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I like trees, so. And so I like trees. <laughs> I don't know. I felt the need to throw it in there. What I like statement. nature. <laughs> well, we are very much inside. <laughs> like Anna goes and on and talks about this first woman in space and talks about all this technical stuff. And then just all of a sudden, I like trees. <laughs> They're pretty nice. They're pretty nice. I listen to this podcast. Um, Radio Lab. If you know, it's pretty Shout popular. out to Radio <laughs> They did one a long time ago when I was in grad school talking about how trees are, like have these tubular networks to communicate with other trees, and that if one tree is dying, like it's being, um, like it's got a parasite or something, yeah. it's being dying. When it knows it's going to die, it will dump all its energy into the surrounding trees, hoping that that will make them stronger so they can survive. What if it comes? Like if it's a parasite or something that could spread to them? Oh my gosh. Isn't that lovely? That's beautiful. I was like, that's so beautiful. They Com- dump out their remaining trees. energy to save wow. the other trees when they know they're going to die. Wow. I thought that was so beautiful. I love that. That is beautiful. Right. I thought so, too. All right. All right. But so we're back to our podcast. To what we're actually supposed, <laughs> supposed to talk, talk about. about. <laughs> Hannah. Um, right. So we wanted to wrap up with talking like about trees. the current. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not going to wrap up there. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted if you're to... still here <laughs> if you're still here why don't we tell you about the current crew on the iss we're just gonna list their names wanted to wrap yeah, up with figured... like here are the people that are in space right right now. now um you can actually see when the iss will pass by you and when you're gonna be able to see it yeah so fun fact the iss orbits the earth every 90 minutes so astronauts on the iss witness 16 sunrises and 16 that's crazy Sun falls? Oh, what's the word? Sunsets. 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 <laughs> My brain. Sun falls. It just falls out of the sky. Who knows where it goes? Isn't that cool, though? The 16? moon wasn't there the whole time. It just appears. <laughs> Spoiler to everybody. The moon is there the whole time. <laughs> Whatever. You understood me. <laughs> I got you. Um, um, so... We saw the ISS that one time when we went camping, right? In that yes. glorified parking lot. In that gl- <laughs> oh my god. And our one friend was worried and so she slept with a knife. I was I more worried sleep- about her having the knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to sleep next to her and yes, Anna and I were both worried. We were oh, like, I'm more worried that you have the knife. <laughs> That I about anybody. Oh man! But yeah. we saw the ISS. It's really cool. It was incredible. It's it's amazing to look up at it and be like, there are people in there. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend go online and check when you can see a, the I ISS over you your city. If you just Google when will the ISS pass by my house, you yeah, can find it. You can find it. Like I've seen it multiple, t- many times it's by now. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And so we're trying the current crew. Oh, yeah, the ISS. current crew on the ISS. Back to what we were supposed to say. <laughs> so we have. The two women who just did the spacewalk, Christina Coe and Jessica Meir. And then we have four others. 
Tana. So then we have Commander Luca Parmitano, Andrew Morgan, Alexander Skvortsov, and Oleg Skripochka. And this is Mission 61 for the ISS. Yes. If you are interested in more about who they are or their backgrounds or what they majored in college or even who it was on the ISS in the past, you can go to the NASA website. Yes, they have all their biographies. And we'll have it all. All right. All right. We should talk about our sources. Yes. Do you want to go love first? It. I would love to. So I um, started with the Wikipedia page on Yurga Garden. And nice. like we've mentioned in the past, um, I like how Anna calls it. It's a good launch pad for good. sources. It is. And then I was led to some books that I found online. One was The Race to the Moon Chronicled in Stamps, Postcards, and Postmarks. Ooh, I bet that's really cool. It's really cool. I skimmed through the pages, and there were just some beautiful pictures in there. Oh, I bet. Um, and that's by Umberto Cavallar- Cavai- Cavallaro. Cavallaro, and, maybe? Yeah, maybe. We don't know. We don't know. And then, but great book. Thank you, Umberto. And then the next book I looked at was Beyond... Our Future in Space by Chris Impey. And then I also looked at yurisnight.net. Nice. Thanks. Who knew it was a website? Anna, how about your sources? So I also started off with the Wikipedia page. I got some good information there. And then the Air and Space Museum website. Nice. Had a really good profile on her as a historical figure. Love it. And then I went to another one. It was called. It was on a website called space.com. Space.com actually has a lot of really cool articles. Yeah, I like Space.com a lot. And it was just, uh, it was another, like, profile about Valentina Tereshkova. Love it. Good old Valia. All right. And that's all we got. That's all we got for today. We're going to wrap up. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks. We hope you had fun. We really enjoyed this topic. We did. If you are interested in um, more profiles on different people who have gone to space, or even, like, Mm -hmm. the chief engineer for the shuttle program or something. Yeah. Or... We could talk more. Like, I feel like the computers of the, the computers as in the women who did the calculations, not the IBM. Yes. Uh, also, they are featured in Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. We're just like, we could talk about it, but I feel like that's been done a lot. However, we'd be yes. talking to talk about it if you're interested in it. So let us know. Yeah. Let us know. Reach out to us Go on to any our, of our social media. Our Instagram platforms. is But It Is Rocket Science. And then we have our website is But It Is Rocket Science.com. Uh, you can hit us up on either of those places. Please do. And um, you can send us. We have a little email thing on our website if you want to send us feedback. Um, so, we hope you have a good night. And uh, so until next, next time, T minus three, two, one, lift off. <laughs>